You're going to need to take your Bibles out today, turn to the, near the end of the New Testament to 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning, Kay and I want to say congratulations to our seniors who are graduating and those who have graduated from college. We're, we're proud of you and anticipating what God is going to do in your life for we've seen what he has done in your lives and grateful for that. As a reminder, 2 Peter is the apostle's final letter to the church before his death. He knows that his life is coming to an end and it will be a violent death at the hands of Nero. And before he dies, he wants to challenge the church one last time on the things that are most essential. And this letter is that. So he's communicating the gospel clearly in this and he's calling for the church to be driven in it and to grow in it, to mature in it, to not forget the things that he has taught and others have taught him relative to life and the end of life and that the Lord is returning again. So it's a fantastic letter. I want to talk to you today as we zoom in to particularly verse 12 through 15. I'm going to go a little before that to catch the context. But I want to talk to you about life legacy. That's what Peter is doing. He's He's announcing, this has been my life legacy. This is what I've been moving toward, aiming toward uh, for these years of his ministry. And he, he wants people to recognize what his emphasis is. But more importantly, he wants them to grab hold of that vision that they too would have life legacy. So on days like this where we're going to focus in a little bit on our seniors and the graduation that they're about to go through, we, we might tell them, hey, do things in a legacy way. And that's right, but we also should catch a vision for each of us in every stage and every age of our life that let's live well and let's finish well with a life legacy. So Peter is doing just that. Look with me. Uh, We'll go back to verse, uh, let's go back to verse 4. In this, he's talking about the Lord Jesus has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, That's an amazing caption, isn't it? That you and I would have the divine nature of God. That's exactly what Joel was just communicating, that God has shared from birth from above a new nature to him. It's a divine nature. And that you and I would be partakers of this divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You think Peter thinks this is a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Now go down to verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, 
I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir up you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I want to mention three points to you out of this text that I think we ought to walk away and say, oh Lord, do that work in me. And the first is this, intentionally remind people to boost their faith eagerly. You and I should be reminding people to boost their faith. Supplement is the word that Peter uses here. So in verses 5, 6, and 7, he gives us seven qualities by which we supplement our faith. These qualities are what he's focusing on. Notice, notice in the beginning of verse 13, he says, I'm reminding you of these things. And at the end of that verse, he says, by way of reminder, I'm telling you these things. And at the end of the passage that I read in 15, he says, you, I have made it so that you might recall these things. So there's a, there's a reoccurring theme here. He's reminding and he's reminding some more so that you and I could recall for the rest of our days. He instructs us to recall and be remembering these supplements. A supplement seems to be a, a little odd word. Uh, maybe we lose a little bit in the translation from the Greek New Testament. But the word there in the Greek New Testament is the same word which is used in classical Greek for what a choir master does. Uh, Kevin's role here is not just to be on platform and lead us in worship. Uh, part of his role is a, a great preparation, making sure that the musicians have everything that they need, the vocalists have everything that they need, that everything is coordinated well, that they are supplemented in a way that they can do what they do with excellence. That's the word that Peter is using here where he says, I want you to, in faith, supplement God has made sure that you have everything that you need so that you can live out this life of faith with excellence. You can do it with, with great integrity because God has provided those things. So these seven supplements as, as they are written here are not seven things that you begin to infuse into your life. Listen to me clearly. God has already treasured them to you. They are yours in Christ Jesus. He has already given you the supplement of your faith in these seven qualities. And now he's saying you need to press towards them. You need to exercise and engage these qualities in your life. So he's assuring us that God has supplied us with everything we need in faith to be alive in Christ and everything that we need to thrive in our life in Jesus Christ with all these qualities. So in his gospel ministry, Peter has intentionally shared the good news of Christ with people, calling them to be saved, and now he is deliberately calling them, the redeemed, to live out this salvation. God intends us to grow in our faith and to develop in godliness. God intends that to happen. So he has given us the measure by which we can do that, and Peter is lifting those seven qualities to us. So he views the totality of the Christian life as a magnificent building. You need to understand that your faith in Christ, the moment you recognize your need for a savior and you're stepping into faith in that decision to trust him as savior and to announce him as Lord of your life because he is Lord over all, that moment is just a foundation. 
Peter is saying everything else is to be built on that foundation. And God is viewing the totality of our life in faith as this magnificent building. I think we just need to reiterate that over and over because some, somehow along the way, people have determined that what just happened to Joel is salvation. No, no, that's just the foundation. That's only the beginning of it. Everything else is to be built from that, from a platform of faith in Christ Jesus, building these characters that God has established in us. And here's the way I know that to be true. Paul writes to the church in, in Corinth and he says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So God has treasured in you faith Take care how you build on that faith, working out your salvation well. He's established it and he wants us to continue. Can I just put it in layman terms? Your life in Christianity has sweat equity to it. God has already given you all the means to be saved. In his grace, he has even given you faith to acknowledge him. He has gloriously saved you. Now you have to put sweat equity in it. Build that up with all these characteristics that are found in Christ that are treasured in you, which he mentions. Now, let's go through those seven qualities real quick. Hunter did this about five or six weeks ago, but I'm going to do it in a, in a fast way just to remind you. These seven characteristics are our life pursuit. And he says the first of this is virtue. Now, virtue, as you know, is the God-given means to live excellently and morally with conviction with the power that God has already given to us by his spirit. So we're living out this new nature that Christ has given to us, and that is to live virtuously, that, that we would have virtue with excellence in a manner that is righteous. That's virtue. Live a virtuous life. And then he says, have knowledge. And knowledge is having a study of God's word and then just a rightful application of that insight that God has given you by his spirit. So we're determined in our faith to live righteously with virtue before him. And we do that by engaging his word, receiving the knowledge from the Bible, and then applying that to our life. That's, that's the beginning steps of walking in our faith. And then he says, have self-control. Don't let your fleshly desires control you. Instead, you control your fleshly desires. Don't let them be the master over your life. You be the master over those desires. And with God's spirit, he will help you. With every temptation of the flesh, he gives way of escape. Take, this, take the escape. And, and walk in this self-control, which, by the way, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and then be steadfast. Be patiently steadfast to do what is right before God and to live rightly before others. Have some fortitude about you. Live in a way that is steadfast with perseverance, holy per perseverance, this wonderful spirit-empowered staying power to remain in Christ and to live in that way. And then live godly. Have godliness. Practice the works of God to his glory and in his power, expressing his holy nature to him and to others. And then have brotherly affection, which means moving kind-heartedly towards other people. 
All the saints of God need to know that you are a kind-hearted person because you have brotherly affection for them, affirming and restoring as necessary. And finally, he sort of wraps it up by saying, have love. And this is not just love. This is agape love. This is a, this is a love that God expresses to us. It's an unconditional love. He comes to us in love when we were not very loving. And so in that way, he says, you ought to love. As I have loved you, love others. So those seven characteristics are just so important for us to build in our lives. Now, we can sense movement in that list, can't we? We can sense that God provides faith, and with faith we want to walk with virtue, and we receive virtue by applying God's truth and knowledge, and we live in self-control, and we're steadfast, enduring in the things of God because we determine to live godly, with great brotherly affection, with the love that God has given us pursuing those things. So God has graciously and generously provided the means by which we can pursue those qualities in Jesus Christ. Pressing into them means that we have determined to live well. Everybody in here wants to live well, right? I keep saying in this season of my life, I want to live well and I want to die well. Now, I want the dying part to be on out there. But I want to live well and I want to die well. That means I want to live in faith and I want to walk in faith and I want to die in faith. I want it to be evident that Christ is very much engaged in my life and me and his. Now, note Peter's passion in verse 12 for the Christians reading this letter. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. This is what I've intended to do. Now, think of the impact for a moment if you and I would take that and it would become our purpose for life. That I intend as your parent, as your grandparent, as your friend, as your fellow saint, as your classmate, as your college buddy, as your roommate, whatever. I intend to remind you of these characteristics the rest of our days. If there's anything that's going to be known about our relationship is that we are lifting up these seven characteristics in our lives. I intend that to be my purpose. That my friends find these things regularly in my, in my discussion. Think of the impact that you and I could have if we would constantly remind one another of these truths. If we could constantly be pointing each other to these seven characteristics. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I tried my best to figure out how I could memorize those seven characteristics in the order in which they were given. And I struggled. Anybody else have struggle with memory? Anybody else grateful you don't have memory tests in school? Yeah, so I, I asked ChatGPT, could you rework this list for me and give me an acronym that I could hold on to? And it did the best it could. It couldn't come up with the seven characteristics, but it came up with six. So let me modify that a little bit and say this, that with faith and with knowledge of God's word, we can press into values. And values are evident in this scripture. I'm going to kind of tweak the wording a little bit. Our values of faith and knowledge are applied when we press towards virtue and when we have affection for one another and when we love people. And when we live uprightly, that is godly, and when we endure, and when we have self-control. Now, I can remember values, and I can remember those letters that correlate with that, and I can let that be the mantra. Now, why do you keep saying that, Randy? Because Peter says it three times in three verses. This is what I'm doing. I'm reminding you so that you will remember and so that you will always be reminded. 
He wants you and me to hang on to these truths. So as a friend, it's my intent to, uh, to remind you, my friend, of these characteristics. In your faith and with knowledge in Christ, press into values. Press into those things like virtue and affirmation and love and in uprightness and endurance and self-control. Press into those things. And then determine your life legacy now. The time for life legacy is not when you're 60, 70, or 80 years old. Although if you're there, start it now. The time for determining a legacy is now. If you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, workforce, retirement, whatever it is, this is the time for you to determine you're going to have lifelong legacy. It wasn't until mid-age that Peter determined lifelong legacy. He went through a whole lot of living before he finally came to an understanding of the God vision that he had and that life was meant to be lived with legacy. So determine your legacy. So Peter was certain of his death, and so he writes, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Now, if you remember some years earlier, right before the ascension of Jesus, he told Peter the death that he would die, and it would be a martyr's death. And so here he is in what is believed to be in his 70s. He's in a Roman prison. Nero has intensified the persecution against Christians. And he knows without a doubt that his death is impending. Jesus had already told him this is the way it was going to be. And now he's certain that the day could be at any time. And what is on his mind is that for the rest of my time in this body, I'm going to remind you of what is most essential. I'm going to remind you and remind you again so that when I'm gone, you'll remember. That's the intent to have legacy. And that's what you and I need to be doing. Some of you parents are going through real emotional struggle right now because your kids are at a transition point. I can tell you from one who's been through that, you're going to get through it. You're going to cry for a while. You're going to go to the bedroom. You're going to lock the, the door of your daughter or your son and you're going to weep and hail and moan and groan and all that stuff and you're going to go around sad for about a week and you're going to realize that they show back up and they bring a lot of laundry with them. <laughs> about the second one comes around and you're like, okay, I think I can do this pretty well. The third one, are you gone yet? <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're going to make it. You're going to make it and your daughter or your son is going to make it. But here's what I want you to help them to do. Remind them they have a life legacy. Their life legacy is to be lived right now. And as you remind them of life legacy, be reminded of your own. That God has called you to a life legacy and the time to do it is now. So remind them of these qualities. Oh, sure, remind them to get to bed on time. Remind them not to hang out with friends they ought not hang out with. Remind them to do their work. But remind them of these seven characteristics, these qualities of life. Now, you and I will have a, a great impact if we do that. So Peter had come to this place where he understood what was happening. And regardless of what had transpired before in his life, whether it was good or bad, he determined at that point, point that he was going to cross the finish line of faith with a sprinter's pace. 
This life of faith is a, is a long marathon to be lived with legacy. But when you get close to the finish line and you think this might be nearing the finish line, you better give it all you got. And that's the legacy that he's living. Why don't you and I have that attitude now? That God will do a great work through us and legacy work if we'll just press into these truths. I pray for such tenacity for each of us. Now, to impact people, Peter had to love them deeply. He had to live before them intentionally. He had to know the central message that ought to be communicated and to be impassioned for that to take root and bear forth fruit in people's lives and then share it repeatedly. Don't grow weary in doing well, sharing the same thing over and over and over. Sometimes I know I repeat the same things over and over and over to you. And there's a hesitancy in me sometimes when I do that. But those are the things that are most important that we walk away from. So I'm going to keep on repeating them. And that's what all of us need to do. Say the same things that are so essential for people to thrive in their life and faith. Though his life would be short-lived, he was concentrating the remainder of his days on a lasting legacy. And that's what I'm asking us to do. In your workplace, in your college, in your summer break, in your retirement, whatever it is, live with legacy-mindedness. So, my friends, the longer you and I live, the, the more narrowed our focus is. Have you ever noticed that to be true? I was telling my boys when they were growing up and they were involved in a whole lot of different kinds of things, I said, hey guys, as you grow older and you're in middle school, then high school, you're going to have to push away some things that are not as valuable and you're going to have to elevate some things that are. Maybe there's some sports that you've wanted to play, but you're not very good at, but you're really good at this one. Elevate that one. It's the same thing with all kinds of extracurricular and later, these students and others are going to focus more narrowly on things. All of us ought to be doing that. Stop focusing on a whole lot of things, but as we get older, focus on more narrow things. And those narrow things are the most important things. Peter was there. He was focused like a laser on the things that were most essential to build legacy in people. And that's what I'm asking for us, that the current and the next generation would be impacted because the people in this house have determined to live with legacy. That we would recognize that's God's call and provision and power for us to live with legacy. Now you might be saying, I don't know about that. Well, could I flip that on you and ask what's keeping you from having the legacy that God has in, intended for you to have on this generation and the next? What keeps you from doing that? According to scripture, it might be that you just lack an understanding of God's call in your life and the power that the Holy Spirit has given to you already. You just lack an understanding of that. Well, come to clarity on that with knowledge. Come to clarity from God's word. Or perhaps you're spiritually immature and you lack virtue and steadfastness and self-control. And God is saying, listen, I want you to build up this life of faith. And I want it to be magnificent. Press into those things. Those are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you. Give more to him than you give to yourself. Or maybe it's fear or insecurity that keeps you from having legacy impact. Or it could be that you're distracted from worldly influences like anti-social media. We call it social media, but there's nothing social about it. It's just a big distraction, isn't it? 
And, and maybe those distractions are keeping you from having legacy in life. When you stand before the Lord, is he going to ask you how many likes you had? No. He's going to ask you about the investment that he made in you and the dividends that he was expecting from you. And when we get that, we'll begin to live with intentionality and have great legacy. You can have legacy where you are right now. For many Christians, the reason why they have a lacking of legacy is that their vision is too small. I don't think there's anybody better to write this to us than Peter because Peter's vision was too small. He saw himself as a fisherman, just a blue-collar guy who would go out and cast his nets and hope to bring in a haul, maybe make the sale, take it over Magdala and sell the fish to be salted and then out to the market. He, he was the producer of that. And that's the way he envisioned himself until one day Jesus gave him a bigger vision. I'm talking about a legacy vision. Jesus interrupted his fishing one day and he said, hey bud, I wanna make you a fisher of men. Now that's revolutionary. That's life-altering, not just for Peter, but for everybody that Peter could have influence with. He was going to be a fisher of men, fishing them into the kingdom of God, calling them, bringing them into the kingdom of God for the glory of God, which is eternally rewarded. He was building friends for eternity. That's a big vision. And then somewhere along the way, after the crucifixion of Christ, when Peter was really rattled by that, had a misunderstanding about what Christ the Messiah was going to do. When that was all done and Jesus was dead, and even though there was rumor that he had been resurrected, and Peter engaged in that interaction with him, you would think that that would give him vision, but man, his vision reduced down again. And he said, I'm going back to fishing. And so he ends up in Galilee fishing. And as God would have it, could not catch a fish all night long. And he's wounded the next morning, and he finds Jesus on the shore. And Jesus had provided for those men that morning 153 fish, which is a big haul in their boat. And there he has breakfast with Jesus. And Jesus gives him a big vision. If you remember, Jesus says three things to him, and he makes three appeals to him. He says, Peter, do you love me? In fact, he says that three different times. And then he gives him three commands, imperatives. He says, I want you to tend my sheep, feed my lambs, and feed my sheep. He's broadening out the vision. He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? All this fish, all these guys, do you love me more than these? In other words, Peter, you're going to have to not have a small vision. Your vision needs to be big. Your vision needs to come from your love for me. Remember, I called you to be a fisher of men, not the fish that you have right here. Do you love me more than these? Then you make sure you feed and tend my sheep and lambs. And Peter got it. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to indwell within him and empowered him, it was Peter who stood boldly as a fisher of men and proclaimed to all the people who would listen the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 of them that day came to faith in Jesus. 
That's a big vision. Nobody else, I think, could write this text to us like Peter. And what he's saying to us in the essence of his life, I know where you are when your vision is too small. Let Jesus speak to you today and give you the big vision. Come to a point of legacy. Come to a place of having life impact. Let this mantra of the gospel be so overwhelming in you that it just comes forth and people are just constantly hearing it from you and you're reminding them constantly so that when you're gone, they will remember and be able to recall these things because your life has been lived with impact. You've lived your life before them and your words have been with clarity given to them. So as the Lord graciously helped Peter expand his vision, he's helping you and me to expand ours. Now, if you haven't determined to have a Christ-exalting legacy, you probably won't. You know, we rarely hit a target that we're not aiming at. And so you've got to aim at the target. You've got to hear the clarion call of God today, and you've got to determine that you're going to have life legacy by the power and the Word of God that has already been treasured in you. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask Him to help you to understand the empowerment that is already available to you. And if you think your life can never have gospel legacy, you're wrong. Ask him to expand your vision, to give you a fresh understanding. Now, today's text is a great place to start. Today's text, with faith in Christ and knowledge of his word, exercise values. Those values are virtue, affection, and love, and uprightness and endurance and self-control. Elevate those in your life. Write those things down. Put them on a card. Put it in your car, your truck. Put it on the, on the mirror in the bathroom. Let it be that that is you and what you're talking about constantly. When people are talking about the news and what's going on in the world, bring up these seven things. Hey, with faith and knowledge, let's exercise these values. Bring it up to them. And then finally, Purposefully live and speak kingdom truths repetitively. Repetitively. Look what he says in verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's legacy was to share the gospel and to mature faithful followers of Jesus Christ with these truths so often that after his death, they could recall them. Oh yeah, you remember he told us these things? It's like that was what he wanted to talk about all the time. Yes. If you're a grandparent, let it be that your grandkids hear you say these things all the time. Encouraging them, developing them in these truths. If you're a friend, let your friends hear you say these things all the time. So he locked into these truths and he lived them out expressly and he spoke about them repetitively. Now we don't often... Well, we don't have to often look for new insights to grow in our faith in Christ. There, there's no revelation that's needed. God is not going to have to open up to you a, a new word. He's already given it to you. Just continue to, to bake in this and see what God is going to provide for you. It's more than sufficient. So I'm asking you humbly to take action today. So let me conclude with these four notes. 
First of all, develop a legacy mindset, believing God has empowered and entrusted you to impact the current and the next generation. You're just going to have to develop this legacy mindset. Now, the enemy is constantly wanting you to doubt that, question that, to devalue you and what God has called in your life, but elevate that. Have this legacy mindset, believing this is the work of God. And then second, develop a biblical worldview. You develop a biblical worldview as you see things through the lens of the Bible. You develop that by being engaged in the word every day, praying it, talking about it, memorizing it, repeating it in your mind, just letting it churn in you, bringing it into the conversations with your family and your friends and your neighbors and others. Have a biblical worldview. And then develop a stance when handling issues. Because there are going to be a lot of issues that come up. So what's your stance? Where, where do you stand on this? Well, here's where I stand. I have faith in Jesus Christ and I have a knowledge of his word and I'm going to exercise values. I'm going to exercise virtue and affection and love and uprightness and steadfastness or endurance and self-control. And then develop a biblical mantra that you repeat often in life and in words. Can I just remind us that we live powerfully when our words and actions match with consistency? I mean, it's one thing for your kids to hear you say something, but when they see you live it out first and you say it, that's a legacy kind of life. It's one thing when your friends see you and they see the work of God in you and they hear the word of God in you. And when those are consistently matching, that's a powerful opportunity right there. A legacy life. So a legacy impact isn't a task. It's a life that is intentionally lived. There's one person in my life that I think about in legacy. Her name is Bernice Rule. She was old when I met her and she stayed old the rest of our days together. You know people like that? And after every service, she would say the same thing to me. She would hold my hand and look me dead in the eye. And with great intentionality, she would say, Oh, pastor, preach the word and feed the people. Every time. I could not go past Miss Rule without her grabbing my hand, looking me in the eye and saying, Oh, pastor. Preach the word and feed the people. And I visited her in her home. And every time, without doubt, every time, her Bible was open on that TV tray right there at her chair. And she was engaged in that word. Many times I'd walk in and she had the word in her lap. Sound asleep, but the word was in her lap. And she had been engaging that word. She wasn't going to waste time with Bob Barker. <laughs> when she had the word of God before her. And in that moment, I realized that's life legacy. She is what she says. And here I am, 15 years later, still talking about her. 
recalling those things that she reminded of me many times. You and I are going to leave this world. What are people going to remember about us? Let it be a Christ legacy to his glory and their good. Let's pray together. With the challenge that you have laid upon our hearts and caused us to consider today, oh Lord, do a fresh work in us, I pray. Among the people in this house with the various positions and places that you have placed them, let them have legacy vision and legacy living. To our students, who are in a transition point in their lives. Let the legacy of Christ be known. In Jesus' name, amen.